The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. morning to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we are currently in a 11-week uh, series through the Ten Commandments. Our first week was an introduction. Last week was the first commandment. And this morning, if you're visiting with us, we are so grateful you're here. Uh, we also did something new with the bulletin. That's why I've been carrying this around with us. Uh, we often note the Bible uh, passage where, from the pulpit, but we also refer you to the Pew Bibles. We realize that not everyone has grown up in the church. We realize that not everyone has access to a Bible. So if you say, Darren, where in the world is Exodus uh, chapter 20? Uh, we've put the page number of the Pew Bible on your uh, bulletin so you can see that. It's page 61. And so we don't want anyone to feel as though you're less of a person because you can't go right to it. We would rather you find it, practice it, and know it so that someday you can say, hey, let me show you where that's at. And so that's one reason we do that. And just another, uh, just a very, very quick announcement as we come to this is if you do not have a Bible, please, please feel free to take that Pew Bible. It is a heavy Bible. It's a nice Bible. Feel free to take it. We would rather you have God's Word than not have God's Word with that. I, I hope you agree with that. But, uh, you know, as we enter the second commandment, uh, these, I just want to be very uh, transparent with you. That's very common these days. But, friends, these commandments are ripping me up. (laughs) Uh, They are. They really are. Because this is hitting right at the core of who we are as people and why we do or don't do or should do or shouldn't do certain things. And I just want to be honest with you. This one, and I'll share a little bit more as we go on, there's a certain topic with this one that has really weighed heavy on my heart. And we'll get there. But uh, you pray, because next week, Dr. Johnston is actually going to do, uh, we're going to, I told him the fourth commandment, so bear with him next week. He is going, we're going to do first, second, fourth, and third commandments, okay? So just know that. Uh, I told him the fourth commandment two months ago, and he's sticking to the Sabbath, so he's going to preach on a harder text. So you give him grace next week, even though the pastor can't count, amen? God is good, and we can still work through that. Well, we'll go from there. But I just want you to imagine for just a second on a sunny day like this, say after church, that someone comes up to you and says, boy, I I don't know you, but I want to write a memoir, a biography about your life. How many of y'all just be a little weirded out by that? Can be okay and raise your hands, I think. And in this biography, the person says, you know, I know you must be an Olympic athlete. I just see that in you. And you're terrible at personal relationships. I definitely can see that in you. And don't you live with 25 birds and 10 fish or something like that? And you look at them and you say, okay, well, that's really kind of interesting, but I'm more of a scared of a heights person. I don't run well. I don't do much well athletically. I'm a good person. And in fact, I'm more of a hermit crab person than a bird and a fish person. And the man replies to you, he says, but no, this is how I desire to see you. You're an Olympic athlete, you're terrible at relationships, you have 25 fish and 10 birds. Sounds like a Christmas song or something like that. (laughs) But he says, you're much more fascinating like this, the way that I perceive you. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment as we laugh at that, how you would feel if someone came up to you and tried to fill details in about your life. And how would you feel? Would you feel offended? Anybody? You would not feel offended? Wow, that's great. We'll make this up as we go. 
How many of y'all would be upset? Seriously, how many of y'all would be upset? Probably so. You, you wouldn't slug him there, but you'd think it in your mind more than likely. But friends, this is the same way with the God of the Bible. If you've ever thought about this way, we can't just walk up to God and say, Hey, God, this is a great thing. I, you're like this, and this is how I want you to be. But God is, in fact, who he is. And that is why the second commandment, friends, is so important to us. Because if we try to write a biography like that man tried to write your life biography, he would be upset just as you were upset, wouldn't he? That's why Isaiah fifty or sorry, 42, verse 8, as you'll see it on the screen, says this. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. <laughs> I love that. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved or graven images. Friends, this is a command, the second command, that we tend to not pay much attention to because we think, well, I don't have any graven, carved-out images. I don't have statues in my backyard. I mean, I had some Superman figures and some Barbie dolls. Maybe still do, but uh, I don't, didn't really worship them. I had G.I. Joes, by the way. That's what I played with. But I'm not sure, Darren, that this second commandment really relates to me today. We don't have images like that. But when you really understand this, you'll see that this commandment is regularly broken like regular church people like you and like me inside and outside the church. And as verse 4 says, it will read, when you break it, it has devastating consequences for both you and your family. So what is the second commandment? Does anyone know it offhand? Anybody? Graven images. Yeah, you're getting it there. We'll have the test afterwards so you can look at that. Uh, but can I have images of Jesus? What does this look like in my family, practically speaking? How do I have graven, gar- carven images with these things? What is the big purpose? Friends, the big idea, and if you're visiting with us, the big idea is our thesis rifle shot summary of the sermon. It's simply this. If you'll have a God on your own terms, an own image, it's a God that you have, not a God that you have, but an idol itself. Friends, we break this commandment when, like that person who comes up to you and says, this is your life, you like fish and birds, but you're really a hermit crab person, you define God in your heart as who you want him to be instead of believing and seeing for who he actually is. Look, the bottom line is this, is it doesn't matter how we like to see God. God is who he is, and he gets to define himself. And we have to conform our conceptions of who God is to his reality and not ours. How we like to see God and how we think we should see God is completely irrelevant. In fact, all that really matters is what he is really like. I hope you understand that. So where are we going with this today? Friends, again, this is a big verse. We could spend eons here. We're going to look at specifically the car, the graven images portion of this. So three things this morning we're going to see. We're going to see that carved images spring from idolatry. I, I can't even say the word I made up. It springs from idols, basically, idolizing things, idolization. Secondly, we're going to see that carved images actually misrepresent the biblical God. And thirdly, we're going to see that they create a tainted behavior in our lives. And if you're just joining us for this study, we have said time and time again that the Ten Commandments are not just another checklist, but it is a heart thing. Just as you serve your wife or serve your kids or serve your job before the Lord, it is not just another thing to say, oop, I got that one checked off. It is something before the Lord that as you obey these commandments under the lordship and the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, you will have freedom in your life. You really, really will. That is the difference. And friends, that is where we're headed today. So you can save your arrows for another about 15 minutes before we get there, okay? Save your arrows. uh, And you can beat me up afterwards, right? But... This is tough stuff. 
And I pray for your, your uh, receptibility to that. It, this is really a commandment that hits home on some tough issues that we'll have to address in our lives and in our church. We'll go through that. If you'll join me this morning, standing for God's Word. Uh, if you're new to this, we stand in honor of the Lord's Word if you're able, uh, as a sign of respect for God's Word that way. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Second commandment, second commandment. God says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved or graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and even the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I love this. There's always a but with God, isn't there? But showing steadfast love to those thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Friends, as we, I have not said this very much, but these are the first of the four Ten Commandments. This is the first table of the law, the law that points our, with our relationship directly to God. The last six are horizontal relations one to another. But as we look at another commandment about how we live before this God, may God give us great wisdom. Let us pray before we start. Father, we are so grateful this morning to know that, uh, Father, you have created us in your image. Father, we are image bearers. We know that we are not just a random processes come together over millions of years from molten lava from a fish to a bird to a monkey to a uh, to a human we are uniquely male and female you created them individually and separately we rejoice in those facts because they are true even if our culture does not father we also rejoice today that you are the one true god there is no other but you and because of that we are to worship you rightly so lord as we come into this may you give us great wisdom give us great strength father and open our hearts Father, rebuke us if necessary, because that is what your scripture is to do, is to comfort or to convict. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, I, I, I think just to carry the analogy a little bit further from where we started with the biography, I think it's worthwhile to asking the question that many people my age, especially, and many of you who are married have been long married, were asked at one point. Are you marriage material? Because, you know, in order to really know someone, you have to let them define themselves. Think about this. This is a very common problem in marriage itself. A lot of times in relationships, we try to make someone into what we need or need them to be rather than let them be who they are. And certainly there's room for growth for everyone, but uh, this is a desire for control. And as a spouse, you may say, I really want or need you to be like this in my life. And I need you to be like these things, and I need you to behave like this. And again, there are expectations biblically for that, but even subtly, we do that with our spouses. So what happens when you start dating that person, what do you do? You start imagining them to be all these things. You only get to know them a a little, and then you fill in everything out about their mind that you would like them to be. Now, I know none of you have ever done that before, of course, but when you get married, they start to reveal that they are not everything you imagine them to be. I know this sounds funny, but I remember when we first got married, I thought, man, it's really weird having someone in the same bed as me, even though we're married. It's just weird because my whole life I've been single. I mean, it's just these things that go through your mind. And there's a conflict as you insist as that person should act like you and you want them to act like you, but they, of course, don't want to become someone they are not just to cater to your expectations. Friends, in order to really know someone, you have to let them be who they are and love them for that biblically to bring them back to Christ. And if you can't love them that way, then don't marry them. Simply stated, 
Here's a great image of a true idol being built in India. And I want to make a connection with this continuing analogy we make before we go into our first point. A lot of times, this is exactly what we do with God, friends. People make God who they want Him to be rather than just believing who He is. It's a control thing. I have a conversation quite often as we knock on doors, as we go door to door in our own neighborhood with people who say that their God wouldn't be like this person. Pastor, my God would not send people to hell for forget or, or not believing in Christ. Pastor, my God would not believe homosexuality is a sin. Pastor, my God would not say that only uh, one nation, Israel, was chosen in the Old Testament. My God, fill in the blank. But they don't base this on what God has revealed about himself. They base it on what? They base it on cultural norms. They base it on their own opinions. And so they assume God agrees with them. They want God to be okay with a certain lifestyle because they don't want to see anything wrong with that lifestyle, so God shouldn't either. Has anyone ever heard anyone say something like that? You know, welcome to 21st century America, October 2016. But friends, this comes on both sides of the aisle. Sometimes a conservative, Bible-believing person will imagine God to be a racist and judgmental, to hate all the people that that person hates by extension God should hate. And they have a hard time with God seeing value and worth in people who are different from them. Guys, let's be completely honest. We are, we are proud Southern Baptists. We are. We have no doubt. We, are, we believe God has called us in this domination of this time. But even in recent history, in, in the 1850s, Southern Baptists were slaveholders. Friends, we've repented of that nationally, denominationally. But even Bible-believing people can err in wrong things. But on the flip side, liberals imagine God to be morally ambiguous and permissive and okay morally with everything they're okay with. For both, they are simply, for the conservative or the liberal or the moderate in between, are simply imagining God to be a reflection of themselves. God created man in his image is what God says, though. And, you know, I'm like this, too, and maybe you are. I made up a list this week. This is all kind of a continued introduction before we get into the points. God according to Darren. Are you ready for this? Not to the pastor with the Bible. The Bible was shut when I was making this list. This is God according to Darren. Maybe you can relate. If I obey God, nothing, I'm, I'm quoting, this is not true, but I'm quoting what I would say. If I obey God, nothing bad will ever happen to my family. Right? Amen? Oh, yeah, don't say amen to that. Be careful. Financially, I say to myself, my family and I will never struggle. I've been a faithful tither, so I'll, I'll always have abundant cash flow, and I'll have everything I want. After God, God, I kept up my end of the bargain. Why can't you? Or here's another one I came up with on the Darren human list of who God is. God will guaranteed give my lovely daughter Scarlett a great husband who loves Jesus and makes lots of money to take me into retirement. Amen. <laughs> I've put too many prayers in that category for God to ignore that, right? That's what I say. Or God will make sure that people who invent computer viruses that affect my computer, because I'm a PC person even though I have an iPhone, will catch a real virus and die a slow, painful death. If you... <laughs> I told you this is not a pastor list. This is a Darren human speaking list. Or another one, my flesh rails against this, even though I know this is not true. No bad person really goes to hell, I tell myself, except the really, really obstinate bad people. But there's got to be a loophole somewhere for everyone else somewhere, right? Can anyone identify with that list? Friends, this is often how I want and expect God to be. But I want you to flip over to Exodus chapter 32. You say, Darren, we haven't hit the first point yet. Yeah, I know. We'll get there. You know me. Go to Exodus chapter 32 and start in verse 1. I want to tell you a story about how this works out. Because everything we're going to do in points one, two, and three comes back to this. 
Very familiar story if you've grown up in the church, but it's a story that will show where breaking the second commandment comes from and the consequences of doing it. Right after giving the commandments, Moses went up to the mountain to commune with God, and then all the people got scared. They started saying, where'd Moses go? Where's he at? Maybe he's dead and not coming back. We're all out here alone in the wilderness. And I'm going to read five verses for you from Exodus chapter 32. You'll follow with me. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods, so you shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Verse 2, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And verse 5, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Today shall be a feast to the Lord. It's a very interesting passage, but let me make sure you understand what just happened here. The people are utterly scared. They don't know what happened to Moses. And without any good cause, they're wandering homeless in the wilderness without any real defense and susceptible to the attacks of their enemies. But get this, what the people request is not a new God. What they are doing is an image of God they can hold on to. That's what they're doing. The bull was not completely separate from God. In fact, the bull back in those days was like the strong man you see on the world's strongest man. They, they kind of walk like this and it takes them 20 minutes to pop their back out to get out of bed in the morning. The bull was representative of strength. So this was not a completely new God. They had literally taken a graven image of gold and made it to the likeness of who they thought God was to be. So Aaron built it and declares a feast to the Lord. (laughs) Did you catch that part? Aaron says, here it is. Let's praise the Lord. And has them in verse 6. It says, offer burnt offerings and peace offerings, which are the very things God has told them to use only in worship of him. Now, these people are not worshiping a new God. They're worshiping a graven image. And friends, watch what happens. I want you to note this here. As the people sat down, and they, it says in verse 6, they rose up early the next day and offered him peace and burnt offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I do not have to spell this out for you. The, the phrase here literally means they, they got up to dance. They got up to walk it out. And play literally means sexual behavior. I'm not going to spell that out any further from the pulpit. You can fill in the blanks. But God tells Moses in verse 7, you better get down there. These stiff-necked people are hard-hearted, idolatrous people have totally corrupted themselves. Then one of my truly favorite scenes happens in verse 22. We're going to skip down through there, go to verse 22. And it says this, and Mo, verse 21, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And this is... <laughs> Uh, and, you, and Aaron's like, you know the people, Moses. Here he goes. Let not the anger burn hot. You know the people. They have their eyes set on evil. You can see this conversation happening. And verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He actually told the truth there. And, and then he's actually trying to blame Moses. Moses, if you would have been here, dude, this never would have happened. If you would have been where you should have been, then we wouldn't have gotten. But his defense gets dumber. I want you to see this. Verse 24. So I said to them, let any of you who has gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire. And yeah, just out of the fire, out came a calf. Are we in middle school, Aaron? I mean, seriously. Yeah, they just threw it in the fire. Whoa, what do you know? A golden calf just pops out of there. You know, it just happened just like that. 
I'm being facetious, but you can understand how easily the corruption of the second commandment can come in, even after the great display of God's glory. Friends, we have to be careful ourselves. You ready to get in the points? All right, here we go. Point number one. Friends, these images spring from idolization. Get that word out. Friends, Israel created this image again because they were scared. They wanted God to be tangible. They wanted to hold him like you would hold your, uh, you know, our, our, our kids, if you've seen them, they have a pink monkey for Scarlet and a brown monkey for Simeon. They weren't satisfied, our kids weren't, until they have those things. Actually, Scarlet now has a buddy bag with like 10 things. We've got a card around everywhere. That's a whole other story. But they were not satisfied with him. And they felt they needed something besides him or in addition to him to protect them. Now, granted, they made an image they thought reflected God. But the whole thing was an attempt to guarantee God's protection. The real idol was a need for guaranteed protection. They were scared. That was their idol. And as an extension of that, they made a golden calf. Friends, that is pure idolatry. You can make an idol out of something, whether you consider it so fundamental to your life, you could not be happy without it. For some of you, that is prosperity. For some of you, that is home improvement. If you don't look like HGN or those shows, I don't know, you know, remodel shows, uh, that's an idol. If your kids don't have the best education, that is an idol. Anything that you prioritize or hold over God and His will. And you can make a graven image when you conceive God in a way that guarantees you that He will give whatever you want to it. I told you before that often in marriage relationships, control is the main thing that we have as we try and shape one to another. We feel like we need them to be a certain way, and that's exactly how this idolatry sprung up. Friends, and that is the first application point for us today. We too often only deal with the idols outside of us and overlook the primary idol, which is self. The only remedy is that is a new identity in Jesus Christ. This is why James chapter 1 says, you can't say the devil made me sin, the devil made me do it. James chapter 1 reminds us that true sin comes from the thoughts that start in here, they spring from the heart, and they lead to action. Here's some examples of how that fleshes itself out. We feel like we have to have money and prosperity to be happy. So we invent a God that will guarantee that to us. That's called the prosperity gospel. We've noted that books like Your Best Life Now are not true. We really need to see ourselves, we tell ourselves, as good people. So we invent a God who's angrier at other people's sins than is angry at our own. We really need a God of vengeance on our enemies. So we invent a God who hates our enemies and prefers us and our culture as being top dog or even our country. We really need sexual freedom, so we invent a God who is okay with that in any way, expression, or form. We really want a family stability to be happy, so we invent a God who guarantees that if we just cross the T's and dot the I's. Friends, even though the Bible couldn't be clear on any of this stuff, this is how subtly it can happen, just like it happened in Exodus chapter 32. Have you dealt with the idols in yourself? Have you prayed as a psalmist prayed, Lord, search me and try me and consume all my darkness because I don't know the the evil ways that are within me? Friends, this is something that we will fight until Christ comes home. And if you're a Christian here today that is dealing with the idol of self, whether you recognize it or not, take that to the cross. There is no sin, friend, that Christ cannot overcome or overtake. If there wasn't a sin he couldn't handle, then we are not guaranteed our salvation. I don't know about you. That's not in the Bible that I read. What a great idol in Jesus that we have in the sense that he is the only one who can smash all of our idols. He's the only one. Idolize Christ, follow Christ, be beholden by Christ, and that will fall away. 
a graven image grows out of an idolatrous heart. It's like that boy who one day was talking to his parents and doodling on a piece of paper. And the preacher said to him, son, his dad was a pastor. The preacher said to him, son, what are you drawing? Kind of looked like this guy you'll see up on the screen. Son, what are you drawing? And the boy said, well, dad, I'm drawing God. And I, isn't that amazing? And the pastor said, but son, we don't know what God looks like. And in the wisdom that only a kid could say, the little boy said, well, dad, you will when I am finished with him. So true. Friends, be careful. Make your prayer this week that you don't make anything in front of you. The blessings that God has given you spring out of any idle thought. Friends, we can turn God into whoever we want Him to be, whether that's a bellhop that gives us everything we pray for, or whether that I'm the only person worthy enough to receive salvation. Idols can start even in great theological study. They can. As a pastor, we have to be careful with that. We can idolize a certain part of theology to the detriment of other parts of Scripture. People do this all the time. Be very careful what you're praying for. That's a short point. That's number one. Idolatry springs from a carved, carved image of spring from idolatry. Let's look at number two. What is this command telling us? And if you're, you can turn back to Exodus chapter 20 if you're still in 32. Friends, he says, you shall make no carved image or graven image or any likeness that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Second thing I want to communicate today is the way we break this commandment is that we misrepresent the actual biblical God. If the first commandment is about uh, who we worship. This is about how we worship here in the second commandment. The first commandment is about who we worship, the one true God revealed in Scripture, and there is none like Him. But instead, the second commandment gets even deeper because it tells us how we are to worship. You shall make yourselves no carved image, likeness, or anything and above, and you shall bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Instead of seeing God for who He is, we often see Him as a uh, idolatrous, dysfunctional way that our messed up hearts want him to be. Friends, now your God may have elements of truth in it if you don't follow the actual biblical God, but you're not seeing the whole thing. Listen, God can never be reduced to a single static figure or single attribute. He is, being, he is a being complete in all his perfections. He is completely holy. He is completely perfect. He is completely almighty in his strength. He is fully just and infinitely loving. He's transcendent well above the heavens and close and intimate in our hearts at the same time. No God can do that but this God. That's the problem with the graven image of God. It shows only one dimension of who he is. And this is where we ask that question. If you drew a picture of God, would you draw him smiling? Or would you draw him kind of with that, that parent frown look that Natalie and I have plastered on our faces these days as we raise two kids? Friends, if you drew him smiling, you might capture his goodness and fatherliness, but you might not catch his wrath against sin. If you drew him frowning, you might capture his wrath against sin, but you wouldn't show his grace and forgiveness. If you draw him towering above the heavens, transcendent above the heavens, you obscure the fact that he is as close to our souls and shares intimately in our pain. But if you show him as a friend by your side, you obscure the fact that he is the God of infinite majesty, infinite worth of what unspeakable holiness he is. So what is the second application point? It's simply this. It is entirely possible to sincerely worship the wrong God or to worship the, wrong, the right God, rather, in a wrong way. As pastor, one of the two things that keep me up at night, several that do, often it's, it's, uh, it's 
things here, but friends, as pastor, we stand in judgment someday for what we teach. We are to lead at Gilbert, myself, Matt. We are to lead the congregation biblically. I don't know if you sweat your performance reviews. You, anyone sweat performance reviews when you sit with your boss? One person raises their hand. I want to work at whatever companies you guys are at. Deb, you're very gracious to us in our performance reviews. Firm, but gracious, well-balanced. But you know what keeps us up is the fact that we stand before this God someday about how we lead you in worship, how we lead you in studying the Bible. And secondly, as a husband, as a father, as a spiritual leader of my home, have I led my family well? And I think that's a part of husbands that we ask all the time, have we done this? And this is a constant ebb and flow. It's entirely possible to sincerely worship the wrong God. You can be directed in a way, even in Bible-preaching churches, to go the wrong way. And friends, we all have blind spots to this. Or worship the right God in the wrong way. So that brings up a big question. What do we do about images and pictures of Jesus that are used to display in the help of worship? It's a tough one. But it would be unfair as a congregation and do injustice to this pulpit to not talk about something that we all have or deal with as pictures of Christ himself. So, is it okay to let me make you a little uncomfortable for a minute? Can I get at least one head nod? Yes? Okay. Friends, we are here, and none of us desires, if you're in Christ, to do anything less than what God wants for him or her. There are still things in our culture that we may not even recognize that we do that aren't great things. And I'm not going to say, I'm not doing this to condemn anyone. Please hear my heart in this. But hear with me when I say, I want to be very careful here. This isn't about condemnation. It's not about calling you out and saying, this is your sin, you're wrong. This is a learning opportunity together under the second commandment. This is an idea of examining our hearts before the scriptures and seeing if what we're doing fits in with what God has commanded us to do or with what scripture or the culture there's an argument to be made from the second commandment that some say that since Christ came in the flesh, he was truly man, had a human body, and was visible, that a picture assists us in taking in that reality as we worship, in the worship sanctuary especially. Picture, uh, we have things coming up like this uh, in Christmas. We have pictures of babies on, on mangers. We have nativity scenes. We have children's Bibles that have pictures of Christ. No matter what church you go to, you will find a picture of Christ on the wall. I told you, someone else needs to preach these sermons. This is the tough stuff, guys. But friends, it is common, but common doesn't mean it's always right. Our Lord has a true body. He could have been photographed if the technology was around. A portrait could have been made of him, and if a good portrait, it would have reproduced his likeness. But Jesus is also glorified in the body, and the body is visible. So therefore, it, Hebrews 9 says, 9.28, He will be seen a second time, and without sin, those who look for him unto salvation. So here's the question. Is it okay to make a picture of Jesus to help you worship Christ for who he is or who he was? I'm going to submit to you after much wrestling with this text this week, friends, I do not believe that is biblical. I don't. According to the second commandment, it's not permissible to us. What are some reasons that would help us challenge this very fact? Well, let me give you a story. I was serving at Warnell Road Baptist Church. John Mark Clifton spoke here last year. Uh, and we had a time at this church where we had a time, a uh, canvas in the back. A story always sticks in my mind. Canvas in the back. We had a visitor come on Sunday evening uh, in 2006. We had a canvas in the back, and we just encouraged people to draw whatever they could draw in response to the sermon. And I was preaching that night, so I vividly remember this, was preaching about the holiness of God. <laughs> 
And this lady comes up to me afterwards, and I, and I said, what did you draw? And she had drawn, you know, minions? You guys know what I mean by minions, those little yellow things? She had drawn like a pre-movie, I, she might have been one of the artists, I don't know. She drew like a pre-movie minion that had one eye sticking out with the goggle on it. No, not kidding here. And it was blue. And inside this minion with two feet were these symbols, like that coexist bumper sticker that you see. You know what I'm talking about? All with inside. We preached from Isaiah 6 about the holiness of God, the one true God through salvation in Jesus Christ. And you know what her response was? It's that this is all, this must all be true. And I remember just thinking, what in the world are we doing here? The canvases didn't come back, by the way. Friends, it is scary to think. And we took that to Westport. We used to do Westport Evangelism. We tried to give that to people. Like in Westport, if you've been to Westport, you know that's a pretty hip, happening, culturally tolerant place. No one wanted to touch it because it was just that weird. But that was her response to what God looked like in response to a sermon about the holy, holy, holiness of God. That sticks in my mind. We, we eventually broke it and threw it in a dumpster behind Kelly's in Westport, but that's what happened to it. So what do we do with this? Friends, pictures, have no, we have no data whatsoever on the basis to make a pictorial representation of. In fact, Isaiah 53, if you read it, says that it says Jesus wasn't great to look at. Is a modern translation. Do you know that? Or parents, you know that pictures have a profound impact on everything that you do, don't you? I would imagine that most parents in the room will limit or at least screen or review or, or perhaps even rid the TV of all of, of things that your kids watch. Parents, would you agree with that? Because you know that pictures stick in your mind. Friends, how would the disciples have responded to the picture of an Anglo-Saxon Jesus hanging on the wall? Who is that, they would say? Can we readily detect what recoil they would have? Secondly, pictures of Christ seem to be in a very clear violation of the principle of the second commandment. If a picture of Christ, if it serves any purpose, it must evoke a feeling or an emotion. How you draw Christ may not be how someone else draws Christ. Remember that analogy we've carried all the way through. You can't avoid the fact that a picture of who you say Christ is taints your worship. It avoids making, you can try to avoid making a medium of worship, but in fact, some way subtly, just like every other idol in our lives, it becomes one to some level. I remember going to a small rural church down in southeast Missouri in, in um, oh boy, not Marionsville, um, I forget the name of it. It was small, we went there in 2010, and I remember a big picture of Jesus being on the wall. I remember the pastor telling me that he tried to remove that in the sanctuary one time, and they almost fired him for it, because the people there said that that is Christ, and they cannot worship without that picture being in the sanctuary. Third, it's not okay to have images in front of us as we worship Christ. Friends, can, let's do the quick historical lesson. This is why we broke away from a certain church five, six hundred years ago. Because there were likenesses of saints that were being bowed down to. And I've been to Guadalajara, Mexico, in El Centro, downtown, where people literally, I would watch them for hours, crawl on their knees to kiss the dead saint that was in the image in hopes that they would lose years off purgatory. Friends, this is tough. Is this hitting home with anyone yet? Amen? This is not where I always used to be, and I, I, there's a lot of exploration I need to do with this, but friends, as I, as your pastor, stood under the authority of God's Word, I've had to ask myself, and I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you about this, I debated whether to share this or not. Completely. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Why? Because change is tough, but friends, 
we stand before you, I stand before you now as the chief of sinners, and I want to tell you that no one here is more responsible for leading people in the wrong way than I have in many times. Friends, what does this mean? Many godly people disagree over images of Jesus, but I want you to know that, friends, I would just ask you to check your heart about images of Jesus. Are you doing this because it's cultural? Are you doing this because it's always been done? Are you doing this because this is what the Scripture says? You can bring out your darts, your arrows, and your Nerf guns, all right? You can bring it out. Friends, even pictures of Jesus on the cross only show one side of him. They show his humility and his love, but not his majesty. Look, you say, Darren, what's the practical outcome of this? Give me a couple weeks on this. I'm going to be honest with you. This has torn me up this week. It has absolutely wrecked my soul. And I pray that's what every scripture text does. Friends, it's not always wrong to have an image in your mind about Christ, but it is wrong if those have to aid you in the worship of who God is. I hope you see that. Christianity is unique among the religions in the world because we are a world religion that after Jesus rose from the dead, notice there are no pictures of Christ around. We are a religion of the word, not a religion of the image. That's why the Jesus' apostles didn't go around building big statues to Christ like the seven wonders of the world at the time. Know what the apostles did is they went around doing what, guys? They went around preaching and sharing and doing all those things. Christianity is a religion of the word and the preached word. Amy, I'm going to skip some notes for sake of time, but will you go to the next slide for me? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like how you feel when you take one of these photos, okay? How many of y'all know photo booth photos? They still have these things around? Are they still out there? Do you know how they, you know, you can get those pictures and they come out. It costs you like three bucks. It costs them five cents. It's a moneymaker. If you're looking for a business, there it is. Amen. You can't put it here, but you can put it outside of church. You know, you take a picture like these and you get them. And does anyone ever like those photos? Is anyone, I mean, besides the goofiness of them, does anyone ever like put those on a frame and over the mantle and be like, this is my family photo? Anybody? Why don't you do that? Because they're goofy. They look silly. And after a week, they fade away anyway, so they don't last. So they're all gone. You know this. Friends, God declared himself so unique that we are not even to make a replica of him. He doesn't even want us to take a picture of him. He doesn't want us to paint any likeness of him because even if we try our best to come up with an idea of who or what he looks like, we're going to mess it up just like those photos mess it up. Now, those of you who took directory photos two weeks ago, I have seen some of those and you looked amazing. So keep smiling, keep looking pretty, and keep looking buff. But mine was not buff, you know that, but that's how it is. God says, don't even make up or come up with an idea I look like because anything you come up with is going to look bad. Friends, I would just ask you to examine your heart and the issues and images in Jesus. I really would. That's all I can ask you to do. I've put in the study, you, you, on a very secular level, you pay me to do this, but on a more level, on a godly, biblical level, you ask me to stand up here and declare to you hard truths. That is a hard truth. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of the crosses. That are, I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is that let's double check why we do what we do because is it scripture or is it not? Can you take a side deep breath with me? You ready? Last point. God tells us not to make carved images because they spring from idolization. He tells us not to misrepresent the actual biblical God because graven images distort the real God. And finally, we'll end with this. And this is a short point. God tells us not to have idols, graven images in our life because they create a tainted behavior in our lives. Look back at verse 4, if you will. He tells us that we're not to bow down. He tells us not to do it in the water underneath. And then he tells us why. He tells us because he is a God of jealousy. Now, friends, when you and I think of jealousy, we think of a terrible thing. We think of 
oh man, uh, the Indians are going to the playoffs and the Royals got mathematically eliminated on Wednesday night. I'm jealous of the Cleveland Indians. I might be a little, but that's the truth. That's how we handle jealousy. Or we handle jealousy in a way that uh, they have this new house and I've been stuck in the same house for 50 years. Or uh, I can't, I love Darren's appetite for pizza, but I'm so jealous because I don't like pizza, but I really want to like pizza. I, God, I'll pray for you. But you know what? God is a jealous God. Jealousy is not a negative thing with a perfect holy God. Jealousy is a husband who has someone hitting on his wife, if I can use that term, and steps in and says, no, this is my wife. She is mine, and we've dedicated ourselves to her, to each other. That is godly jealousy. This is Jesus in the temple clearing out the temple when he went in and he saw, what did he see? All the money changers and all those people. What did he do, guys? He went in there and he cleaned house, literally. He took a whip of cords and drove them out. Someone says, well, Jesus was angry. No, Jesus was angry, yes, but it was a hot, white, righteous anger of God that was jealous for his glory. Absolutely. And when God says he is a jealous God, what he is saying, friends, is that he wants no other gods before him. That's the first commandment. Notice the succession here. And no other before his face, literally. And therefore, if we have anything in our hearts, it really affects how we behave. It really, really does. It misrepresents and creates a tainted behavior of us. This is the first application, last application point. You know you've created a God in your own image when your God loves those you love and hates those you hate. I'm not just talking MU or KU fans as much as we joke about that. Friends, I'm talking about reality. For example, if your God is holy and not compassionate and gracious, then you tend to be judgmental. If your God is gracious but not just and holy, then you tend to treat casually the things that God hates. If your God is sovereign and not loving and compassionate, then you become an angry Calvinist who argues all the time about theology but rarely tells anyone about Jesus. We called them hyper-Calvinists back in the day. If your God is not fully sovereign, which means he's not in control of everything, then you tend to get worried and stressed out when something goes wrong. If your God is a God of justice but not a God who gave himself for all at the cross, then when things go wrong in your life, you think God is mad at you. If your God is not beautiful and all-satisfying, you find serving him half-heartedly so you won't go to hell, but you won't desire with all your heart, and so you struggle with attraction to the things of this world and sinful pleasures. If your God is a God that guarantees prosperity in your best life now, then when things go wrong in your life, you simply lose faith. Plus, if your God guarantees prosperity, you'll never get to experience how present and promises as we sang, thank you, Gilbert, for leading us in that song, that his presence is with us. That's what we need. Here's my challenge for you as we end. Find your areas of stress. Find your areas of anxiety, church. Find your areas of depression and dissatisfaction and know for certain where you are most tempted to sin. And I guarantee you, if you find that hot button issue, you will find that you come to a wrong view of God. For example, if you're worried you don't believe in God's sovereignty, it's amazing. Matt, I know we've talked about this at length about friends, you know, great Bible study students that have this high theology, but man, someone talks to them about something and they just get super worried about it. Their high view of God doesn't meet the practical view of life. If you are insecure about yourself, you don't understand about God's size or absolute acceptance of you. Friend, can we say it for the fifth week in a row? God has not loved you more today than he did yesterday. He's loved you the same eternally in Christ. That is your image. That is your God. If you're judgmental, it's not because you don't see how much grace you have in God. It's it's showing that you really don't want to accept anyone but yourself. If you struggle with materialism, it's not because you don't see how much 
you have, it's because you don't see how much more beautiful God is in his mercy. If you're a generous person, you don't understand how generous God has been with you. Here's what I want to say as we close. Friend, God is gracious. He's given us so much grace. As you go through this week, be encouraged that any sin, any idol that you have, whether you have created it with your hands, with your mind, with your thoughts, with your intentions or motivations, he can forgive you of that. Amen? And friends, as we walk this path through the Ten Commandments, I pray that you pray that, Lord, you ask, Lord, show me what is before me. Show me what is before me. You become what you worship. Are you worshiping the right God in the wrong way or the wrong God in the wrong way? Or are you worshiping as he says he was? Let's end right there. Let's pray, guys, as we close. Father, these are tough truths today, and I don't say this. Father, you have wrecked my world in preparing this message. But, Father, I am grateful that you are a God of grace. Father, this is not just law, law, law. We are not just doing a self-help here. We're not just doing another step, another checkbox. Father, we are asking that you would examine our hearts before your throne. Father, that what is unholy in us, you would make holy before you. Father, I don't know what that looks like today. That may be something completely unrelated by your spirit you have put in someone's mind of what they need to deal with. And Father, may we deal with that. May they deal with that in a way that is acceptable to you. But Father, thank you that the gospel reassures us that our identity is not in self. It is in Christ. We are forgiven. So Father, as we come to you, we come to you joyously, knowing that you forgive us, but also contritely and humbly knowing that we have sinned against you, the holy God. But Father, may we rejoice that while we were sinners, Christ died for us despite all of our idols. While we are still sinners in Christ, Father, you have still given us the same grace today that was yesterday and will be there tomorrow. Father, what an amazing God that you are. Thank you, you've not cast us off as we so cast off our favorite sports team or our favorite politician or, or whatever is out there that changes a little bit and we don't like that person anymore. Father, thank you that in Christ we are absolutely secure. And because of that, we have confidence that you hear this prayer this morning. Father, we pray and we thank you. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the several, many, many, many who serve here so well. Father, be with us. Give us great guidance. We pray all these things in the honor, for the glory, for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.